Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new Redefining Technology podcast. Standing on two feet, having dexterous hands, developing a language that allows us to communicate, and the ability to understand abstract concepts. These are all part of the equation of humanity. Still, it is the capacity to create tools and advance the technology that has allowed us to thrive on this planet and maybe on others. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Marco. Sean. I, I found something new. Something new? Something new. Something old? Are you getting married? What? What's going on? <laughs> Something blue. Something know. blue. <laughs> I, uh, I I found the internet. It's this new fandangled thing that uh, oh. helps uh, us communicate and do other buy stuff. I think. Where did I'm you find big, it? Big shopping cart. Um, I, I found it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I found right, it. It was right there, and and I everything I read there, I, I believe as well. Yeah, yeah, I found it in the garden. Good figure. Of all places, I was gardening, you know, taking care of flowers. Did it bite you? It bite me, yeah. yeah? A bee came and sting me. And, <laughs> was it a sting I, or a bite? Either way, it hurts, a, I guess. It was a sting, it hurts, and uh, it could have been a malware. I don't know. Ooh, we'll we're going there. <laughs> no, 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 we're not going there, Sean. I know you want to go cybersecure, but we're not going there. You, you traded your privacy during the gardening event. I don't know. Yeah, for some honey. That's what I did. There you go. <laughs> okay, this is starting no. funny, as usual, because we, we like to be silly. But, you know, this is this conversation, I'm very excited about it because it's very philosophical and there is technology involved and there is, yeah, plants as well, um, animals and, and a lot of things. And uh, we spoke very briefly about this with uh, Diana Kelly on one of the uh, through the tech vine show that we had and we mm. got fascinated by by this book and we invited mm. the author and guess what he accepted yeah go fear the, the internet worked in our favor <laughs> it, did. <laughs> it did we send the pigeon and it worked <laughs> anyway enough with like this uh this funny talking um the, the book on, title on a, on a serious note before you get to the book title i i caught the dystopian well, well, the way it's put is utopian is not possible, right? Mm -hmm. We're, so I'm I'm very curious to go there. I'm just going to tease that out mm -hmm. as you as you right. dig into this, Mark Marco, because we always so, talk about utopia and dystopia, and, and that mm -hmm. there is an opportunity for good. 
I'm not so certain. Mm -hmm. Well, we have the right person to ask the question. Know, it's uh, Justin Smith. Welcome mm -hmm. to the show. Thank you very much for having yeah. me. Oh, we, we were very excited. I think we already spoke and, you know, chat way too much, John and I. So <laughs> let's talk about you, who mm. you are, and uh, the book that you wrote that we're referring to is called The Internet is Not What You Think It Is, A History, A Philosophy, A Warning. Mm. So there you go with, uh, with what Sean <laughs> was referring to. So, mm. Justin, a little bit about yourself. Oh, let's see, where to start? Uh, <laughs> I am uh, American um, by birth. I've lived in Paris for about 10 years. Uh, and I am, among other things, a professor in the Department of History and Philosophy of Science at the University of Paris, though originally I am uh, trained in philosophy. Uh, but this book, like, most of my more recent writing is inflected by a long interest in the history of science. And uh, I wrote my, my most recent book, The Internet is Not What You Think It Is, um, as a kind of fusion of two different identities I have, or I put on two hats at the same time. Uh, and, you know, in addition to my academic work, I'm also rather present um, on the internet itself. Uh, and um, I wrote, I write a lot uh, of essays and philippics and tirades, or what are commonly called these days, rants. Uh, I don't like that word, but one of them that I wrote in 2018, uh, the web version of The Point magazine, was uh, uh, an angry, desperate essay called It's All Over, um, in which I bemoaned the loss of the world that I first knew. Uh, and I identified the principal culprit uh, in its loss as uh, the rise of algorithmic structuring of our social reality, the paradigm instance, but not the sole instance of which is social media. Uh, and so then this was the closest thing to a viral hit I'd ever had. And uh, as it circulated, uh, a number of people suggested I squeeze a book out of it. And so as I was trying to figure out how to do that, I kind of brought together two of my basic uh, uh, kind of approaches. One is the, um, the essayistic um, uh, uh, investigation, and the other is my more academic scholarly expertise, if you will, in the history and philosophy of science. So what I try to do is tell the long story of the internet going back in most chapters, several centuries, uh, but also in the particular chapter two that was excerpted in Wired, going back several hundred millions of years and considering uh, networks in uh in nature as well as antecedent to our uh technological networks fascinating and, and i think like i said at the beginning before we start recording we could probably go a long 
a lot longer than what yeah. we go because it sounds uh you're taking a, a stab at this issue or this problem this this vision that you have from many different angles and we, we started making fun with you know the garden because you know yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> that article is about hmm. uh, mother nature pretty much um been doing what we're doing on the internet mm -hmm. or maybe without the bad things <laughs> for mm -hmm. a very long time so mm -hmm. how do you how do you start with that it seems to me there is a the world scene philosophically is a, is a synergy of mm -hmm. everything that is composing nature even the universe itself so yeah start from as far as you want to start yeah well i guess one of the uh morals of the tale I tell in the book is that the history of technology is not what you think it is, in part because it uh, involves typically a long prehistory where we don't have what the tech people like to call proof of concept, right? But I like to uh, critic crit criticize that term mostly because for a philosopher look if you have the concept already you have the proof of the concept you, namely the, the fact that you have the concept it doesn't have to be realized in a physical substratum in order to be proven as a concept right so one way of thinking of my argument is that the concept of the internet existed already as a concept long before we had the actual internet, right? Uh, and it came together through several different strands of development over the course of several centuries. I see some particularly significant moments in the 1600s when Leibniz and Pascal and other figures develop reckoning engines um, and are at the same time interested in conceptualizing ways of connecting their reckoning engines across uh, large distances and developing some sort of telecommunication, even though the actual elements only start to come together in the 19th century. And it's in the 19th century that we get the working analytical engine of Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace. We get telegraphy in uh, uh, the middle of the century. And by the end of the century, we have people telecommunicating all over the place, right? And we start to have really actual kind of practical use of these tools that had been conceptualized for a long time. So then the question is, how long, like how far back can you really push it? And I can cite examples from ancient Greece, from antiquity, where people are talking about uh, giant listening saucers uh, that they'll use to um, uh, listen in on conversations on the other side of the globe, things like that. And so it's clear that there was just given the way nature works an available concept of telecommunication already likely as long as people have been looking at 
nature with their anatomically modern brains, even though we only have uh, the first expressions of it in, in antiquity. So that's why then in, in, the, in the chapter excerpted in Wired, I wanted to just push it as absolutely far back as we go, as we can go, and think about um, uh, the evolutionary history of our species and of other species as essentially uh, uh, a history of telecommunication, right? And there are some cases where it's easy to do, like with sperm whales, for example. Researchers tell us today that when a sperm whale clicks in the Pacific Ocean, it's quite likely that its conspecifics can hear it in the Atlantic or the Indian Ocean. So that's real telecommunication, right? Elephants communicate with seismic vibrations by stomping over several kilometers. So that's telecommunication too. If you go down to the lower levels of the scale of being and you look at the plant kingdom, there's similarly widespread um, chemical signaling. And the famous example from that was very popularized some maybe five or six years ago um, uh, is of mycorrhizal networks connecting the roots of uh, trees of the same species so that it looks like you've got two separate trees far apart in the forest. Actually, they're sending signals back and forth to each other all the time um, and helping each other out with deliveries of chemical packets and so on. Uh, so this is just kind of standard fare in the natural world. And I wanted to, uh, again, put that in, uh, in continuity with, uh, with our own uh, technologies and to look at our idea that our technologies are something distinct as a form of self-flattery, right? Yeah, and for, for me, I mean, that, that's fantastic uh, mm. history. And yeah, my mind just blown. Obviously, I've heard <laughs> a few of those, but I, I guess what I'm, what I'm curious to know, I mean, you, you use the word help in there, mm. trees helping each other. Oh, yeah. And I presume the communication amongst the whales is to either to find each other to mate or to mm. share information about food or mm -hmm. or whatever. There's a good place to, to hibernate or, or to, yeah. to, to hang out during the winter. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering, where does it go wrong with the humans because I, I don't know do, do whales have telecommunication bullying <laughs> <laughs> um i think in the case of in the case of whales it differs species to species and it's it actually remains rather mysterious in some cases especially with not with clicks but with like blue whale so-called song um it's an open question why they're doing it exactly and uh there's significant evidence that to some extent they're doing it for fun, right? Uh, or because they like to, for the same reason we chat with each other, right? Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that's also, I think, significant. And that's unlikely to be and what's going on in the case of the mycorrhizal networks connecting trees, right? Uh, I don't know if trees enjoy themselves. I, I think it's, <laughs> but for the sake of argument, let's say they don't, right? Um, uh, in any case, um, uh, what goes wrong? I mean, in a sense, the book uh, 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 is called 
the internet is not what you think it is. And I think I mean that at two different levels at once. And one is the level I've already made explicit, right? The internet is not what you think it is in the sense that really technology is not what you think it is um, uh, or the, the, the technological versus natural divide is not so clear when we start to press at it. The other sense in which the internet is not what you think it is, is the, um, the, the sense in which it is um, in its concrete current stage of development uh, uh, presenting to itself to us under false pretenses. And let me explain a bit here. Sometimes I like to say for the concrete actual inter internet as opposed to the internet as a concept, uh, we can divide its history into two chapters. One of the chapters extends from about 1678 to about, I don't know, sometime between 2011 and 2015. It's hard to say when. 1678 is when Leibniz, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, develops the reckoning engine uh, and conceptualizes the possibility of information processing and information networks. Um, first part of the last decade is the moment where social media uh, uh, transform uh, and I lived through this transformation, and I can confirm that I experienced it in this way from something that connects us and brings us closer together, as Mark Zuckerberg still claims, uh, of Facebook, um, into something that is an engine of uh, uh, hostility disinformation, uh, uh, misrepresentation, and ultimately the algorithmic uh, preference uh, for things that are stated in the most uh, uh, extreme or unproductive way possible. So what happened was something like, and obviously I'm simplifying here, and obviously also you know the story, in the aughts we used to have uh, fire hose style newsfeed where uh, we would see posts within our community in the order they were made. Uh, and that was it. Um, at some point, we started to see algorithmic boosting for certain posts based on uh, inscrutable, mysterious um, uh, 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 AI uh, uh, based principles. And by the middle of the last century, this was causing all sorts of chaos um, in the uh, for global stability, right? Um, and literally kind of bulldozing social reality as we had known it. Um, and so uh, uh, it's also not what you think it is, then, in that it's not just a natural outgrowth of, uh, of what we do as human beings, um, but it's also now, um, in its current manifestation, a distortion, and you might say a perversion of what we do as human beings, because we come to it and expect it to bring us together and enable us to communicate with another, one another, to deliberate with one another over tough decisions. But what it actually is, is something more like a, 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 a deliberation themed 
video game where you rack up points, except you don't call them points. You call them likes or faves or, or retweets or followers, right? Nonetheless, its essential nature is that of a video game. And when that's your only, uh, your own, the, the best uh, thing going in terms of a neutral public space to talk about serious problems, then you don't really have a public space at all, right? Mm -hmm. And democracy needs a public space. So it's also not what you think it is in that sense then. Yeah. And this includes all the sub-problems like mobbing and virtue signaling and cancellation and uh, everything else we know about. <laughs> yeah. So I, I see this, I see like what you mentioned and where Sean was going is what, what you do with it. Right? Yeah. And well, I'm going to stick to what it is, because mm -hmm. in many of our conversation, when we talk about robotics, digital, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, one of the takes that I like the most that I actually support is that all the technology is an augmentation yeah. of us being human. So I really clicked when I was reading your example of the web and and the spider, for example, yeah. is not part of the spider. It's yeah. not connected, but it is part of his life, his evolution is what yeah. he needs to perceive yeah. the world. So in a way, yeah. philosophically speaking, it's always been there. And I yeah. think that's what you're what you're going with is like the this communication. We're using technology once mm. we reach that, but this desire, this predisposition to create this internet. Yeah, it's always been there. Am I am I correct if I can wrap it in? Sure. Yeah, that's part of it. And of course, the example of the spider, um, you know, that casts a web and then sits in the center of it and um, and then detects vibrations that signal that a, a victim has has fallen into the outer edges of the web. Uh, this is really interesting because, you know, the spider needs it, can't live without it, uh, but it's also usually not um, uh, taken, the web itself, not taken to be part of its sensory apparatus, strictly speaking. Now, in philosophy, for some years, there's been... Uh, 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 a tendency that's sometimes called the extended the extended mind hypothesis by philosophers like Andy Clark, um, who want to see how much we can push the idea that there's no um, there's no way to limit uh, our mental activity, you know, including all of our experiences to something that goes inside our head. We are by definition extended both out into our bodies, but then once you include the body also out into the, the, the milieu uh, we interact with, right? And so uh, the spider then would be ex very much literally extended out into its web. Now, the difference between the spider and us or between the sperm whales and us, you might think is that, well, 
we just started networking, right? Uh, whereas as long as this spider has existed in its evolutionary history, it's been using its web in this way. And that's kind of true, but what I wanted to suggest is that, well, in fact, um, if you look at the way humans have been conducting themselves over the centuries, um, if you were a member of the early modern Republic of Letters in Europe and you received a letter and you read what your friend in another country in Europe had said, you would not necessarily be as attuned to the lag time, to the delay that, that we would think of is if we received a letter today, right? Our friend would probably email us several times <laughs> over the course of the delivery of the letter to say, hey, there's a letter on, on its way. Did you get it yet? Yeah, hey, and did that, you and call you too, to be sure you got the text. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> but if you don't have all of those other uh, kind of circumventions of the course of the letter, then when you get it, it feels simultaneous, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So even if you even if you have to walk across the distance yourself to deliver a message, this is still, um, uh, you know, you have like degree zero of technological development, you still have this abstract kind of mental field of your network of a simultaneous uh, cohabitation of the same uh, spatiotemporally diffused community, right? Um, and so then, in some sense, the, the, our new technology uh, 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 makes new things possible. But as Sean said a moment ago, in another sense, what it also does is just kind of augments what what we already the way we are already conducted ourselves but of course i mean ever since aristotle there's a there's a basic distinction in what you might call the philosophy of technology between uh augmentative technologies and i forget how what he calls it exactly um uh 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 dis distortive you might say that's not the word he used I, sh I should I should remember this the idea being that there are some technologies like say I think the example he uses is irrigation right where water flows right and um that's something it's going to be doing in any case to uh create a, a a ditch for it to flow in for your irrigation purposes is just to kind of uh, help water along uh, doing what it does in a direction that 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 favors your own interests. Um, distortive technologies are ones that uh, kind of force nature to do, in scare quotes, what it doesn't want to do, right? And you might, I mean, where, where to draw the line is a difficult one. Uh, we don't think today that nature actually wants to do anything. We still tend to think that growing a human ear on the back of a mouse uh, is kind of, you know, is kind of pushing nature in uh, in a direction it wouldn't be inclined to go otherwise, uh, or maybe, uh, you know, splitting the atom or uh, any number of other examples from technology. Um, so in a sense, uh, 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 we, 
the philosophy of technology, especially now, especially with the rise of AI, really needs to think about the difference between augmentation and distortion, I think. Um, and it's it's an objectively hard question, and there's a, always going to be disagreement, but we still need to think about it. Yeah, and, and so, so many questions in my mind. I want to go to... The, the evolution because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We, you, you talked about it in, in the sense of communications and, and a place or a way for us to communicate and, and deliberate mm-hmm. um, but I, but I see the internet and technology is expanding beyond that to where mm-hmm. we're transporting ourselves to different places yeah. and experiencing new things even if it's only in our mind yeah and I'm just wondering do do other species evolve and try to make make their communications channels multi-purpose and multifunctional like that? Yeah, it's it's rather unlikely, right? Um, I, I I think um, again, in some cases we just don't know, uh, uh, but we generally suppose that there's a lot less uh, uh, a lot less work of the imagination going on in most non-human instances of telecommunication. That is to say that, um, that uh, there's less, um, less going on internally uh, when, um, when an animal signals to another animal or not to mention plants, right? Uh, yeah, the, the reason I asked that, Justin, is because I, I feel that we're, Mother Nature probably has some boundaries mm-hmm. in place yeah. for a reason. And I'm wondering if if it's that we're pushing the boundaries beyond yeah. what, what Mother Nature would Oh, I, I mean, I think there's no question we are. I mean, we're definitely pushing the boundaries. And really, since the scientific revolution, that's been the basic spirit of scientific research, right? Like Francis Bacon in the 1600s said, you know, forget about the the squeamishness of the ancients. Uh, if we want to know nature, we have to violate nature. And, you know, he, we have to violate her, right? So this is a, you know, a call to, you know, a metaphor of uh, the sexual aggression against nature um, and taking it, making it yours. And that's what science has been doing rather uh, uh, assertively for, for some centuries now. Um, um, there's been wariness about this. There's been backlash, uh, but we're also uh, certainly um, pushing it to the limit. And there's, you know, I think what the the way this happens in particular it, now today, no one is as aggressive as Francis Bacon was. But at the same time, uh, I think you know we recognize that uh, that that. Uh, that AI could develop in directions we don't want it to go, but we also know that our competitors are developing their AI, or China is developing its AI. So we need to get the best AI fast. Um, and uh, uh, so the 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 the, com- the competitive nature of technological development leaves little room for. Uh, 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 moral uh, quandaries or anxiety about the direction this could all develop in. And I see this in particular when I read scholarship in so-called tech ethics or AI ethics, where uh, there's very little uh, uh, kind of questioning of the 
the kind of the whole big picture uh, technological reality we've constructed and uh, people working in AI ethics focus or tech ethics, more generally speaking, focus on very narrow problems like, you know, uh, what kind of trolley problem solutions should we program into self-driving cars and stuff like this? Um, and that's because this is being driven by tech companies who want self-driving cars, right? So um, uh, 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 we're definitely pushing things to a limit and, uh, and it is rather reckless in ways that people have seen for a long time. I mean, in 1962, Norbert Wiener, the, the founder of cybernetics already said, look, you might think you're just teaching your machines to play chess, but they're gonna jump the fence, right? And when they jump the fence, uh, who knows what they're going to start learning? So it's, it's um, uh, and and how this is going to come back um, and uh, and 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 take a vengeance on us. So this has been clear for a long time, but that hasn't slowed us down. Right? Switch, switch I mean, from a game of chess to a game of risk. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. A exactly. game of thermonuclear war. In yeah, the exactly. Like yeah, that was games. it. That was exactly that was exactly Wiener's fear that mm -hmm. that that chess is just the the early test case for war games and that war games in turn are already a form of war right um, uh, uh, the that you know that w the the limit case of war games is war itself right mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and you mentioned splitting the atoms, and I was actually reading about the, the old Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project and oh, how, yeah. how he felt, you know, kind of like after he realized what yeah. went on. Let I have a question about the way that you you present the city, the urban mm. environment yeah. as, you know, you, you actually say, you know, we, we don't want to look at it as like hands and, and their, you know, the mm. way they develop or animal but in a way, you know, it, it's kind of like it, even that is an environment that wouldn't exist without us. It's not like yeah. sometimes we perceive technology as it just yeah. rain from the sky. It's magic yeah. is given us from the God, right? Yeah. Truth yeah, is, yeah. it's an extension again of us. So yeah. that that embodied, in my opinion, the vision of the city with us living inside it and yeah. using the technology or before the technology yeah. to create an environment that maybe in a way was always meant yeah. to be, just yeah. we didn't have the technology. So can you right, explain right. that? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, the thinking about, let's say, the urban revolution of the past uh uh, the, the the past 10,000 years, the gradual, I mean, it's the agricultural revolution, but the gradual development of, of cities um, uh, over the, over this period that, you know, are in a sense, like relative to the, all the humans who have ever existed, they're not so rare. City dwelling is not so rare, but if you're just looking at the timeline of human existence, for most of human existence, humans have not lived in cities, right? There haven't been cities to live in. So cities are a weird new thing in some respect, uh, just not quite as new as smartphones. Um, and we have really learned quite well to take urban environments for granted. In fact, you know, it's very easy to grow up in an urban environment and never once think like, whoa, 
how did things get this way, right? And it seems pretty clear that the direction of technology now is adding another layer to that so that um, we're soon, once um, maybe uh, my or our generation has died off, going to be in a world where um, augmentation, uh, augmentative technologies um, are going to be taken for granted, just like we now take cities for granted. And again, you know, the city is also obviously an excrescence of human uh, human activity, um, you know, even to the extent that different cities in different places in the world are built from different building materials, depending on what's available in the um, the geological uh, uh, composition of the region, right? So it's a very, it's just, it's the natural world, but a bit rearranged, right? Um, and uh, 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 that's part of why it's so easy for us to take it for granted, yeah. And it's good when you augment it. It's not so good when you when you distort it, as you were right. saying before. Right, 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 yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And arguably, yeah, we're distorting our cities now too. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, but in yeah. any case, I mean, I don't think the internet is intrinsically I, either augmentative or distortive. I think it's it's uh, 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 being used for distortive ends right now i don't have the solution to change that someone smarter or someone better at policy uh than i am is going to have to come along to 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 change it but um you know it's being it's being uh neutral with regard to those two possibilities is better than it's being objectively distortive i think and it's it's interesting i i I wrote a piece a number of years back um, mm-hmm. looking at when virtual reality takes over, we want mm-hmm. to look back at the true reality. And I looked at it through the lens of nostalgia that, that will value our reality mm-hmm. before tech uh, because of no- nostalgic purposes. What I'm yeah, saying right. to you is we'll, we'll value it from a regret <laughs> yeah maybe i mean yeah well nostalgia is a complicated emotion isn't yeah. it it's a it's a bit of regret a bit of pain bittersweet you know yeah. uh but certainly i think um uh we're already seeing ways in which um uh uh we're trying to use technology to reconnect with the natural world um you know apps that monitor our amount of communing with plants per day or whatever and i'm sure we're going to see more and more of that um uh and uh it's uh even if these fail uh to to really mediate well between ourselves and our nature their very existence is a a a development that shows that we we want to go back. Um, yeah. Yeah. So maybe as we wrap here, Justin, mm-hmm. if, you, if you could, I mean, you, you've teased the heck out of me uh, <laughs> to, to, to want to dig into every page of this book. Yeah. 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 Uh, maybe a quick description from you uh, for who the book is for. Who did you, who'd you write it for? And well, maybe, maybe what's the lesson for them? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, a bit of a hybrid, a bit of a monster uh, itself in the sense that, um, 
you know, originally I, it was going to be a trade published book. Then uh, it was going to be probably more polemical, more rant-like. Uh, but then for various reasons, I, I, it ended up with my, my long standing uh, academic publisher, which is Princeton University Press. Uh, and because it was with a university press, I thought, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself in front of my academic colleagues. I got to I got to show my scholarly chops here. Um, but then, you know, so that's the sense in which it's hybrid. It's both uh, or at least I'm trying to talk to two different publics at once, both scholarly and, um, you know, anyone who uses the Internet, which is to say basically um, anyone, not not everyone in the world at this point, but everyone who can read, um, I'd say is, uh, is, and in any case, even if you're, you know, totally off the grid, and this is part of my argument, um, the internet is still shaping your social reality anyway, because again, uh, increasingly, uh, real world systems like say, uh, car share services and so on are being gamified, um, on the same principles that were first given their trial run on social media, right? And we're going to see this more and more. Amazon warehouse workers are having their lives shaped by um, uh, 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 algorithmic principles that kind of, again, to use Norbert Wiener's term, jump the fence from the internet into the warehouse, right? So we're all on the internet now, right? Yeah, well, I'm picturing somebody completely off the grid where they're, <laughs> yeah, they're getting the water from the well and growing yeah. their own food, and the only communications they have are with their neighbors. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure that exists. Um, uh, I mean, being squeezed out, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, and you know, obviously, all, throughout the developing world, you know, you you're, you're not likely to find much of it there either because. Um, you know, cell phone usage kind of circumvented the, the the personal computer and went, you know, people went straight from no telecommunications at all to uh, to, 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 to cell phones and to texting. Um, so, you know, if people want to go off the grid and go hardcore anarchist, anarcho-primitivist, um, you know, God bless them. I, that's certainly not what I'm advocating. Obviously, that's not cer uh, certainly not what I'm living because I'm sitting here talking to you two from <laughs> Paris. So uh, it would be pretty contradictory if I were. <laughs> yeah, and you know, as as, a, as I'm going to make the the last call for for the book and everything, mm -hmm. I, I want to add to that that maybe if you're doing that, mm -hmm. you're kind of being the distortion. Because mm -hmm. it seems to me that that's the direction where the old yeah. humanity is going. So if you're going to try to break that, you're almost like you're, you're swimming against. Yeah, you know? yeah. You're not going yeah. with the flow. So you know, yeah. there's that but, too. But. but the problem is nobody's going to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's not affecting uh, probably the, you know, is that drop in the ocean that is not going yeah, to affect yeah, the, yeah, everything yeah. else. Well, Justin, I, I, I love this conversation. I, oh, yeah, of course, I could you. go on forever and yeah, never. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to have you back and maybe pick on some more specific uh, chapter, other chapter uh, of the book. I, I love this. And I don't know. I mean, I just want to invite people to read this because for me, it's really timely in the way yeah. that we are re-embracing awfully 
uh, you know, renewable energy trying yeah. to say, hey, you know what, we kind of went off <laughs> the wrong yeah. direction. Yeah. Maybe, you know, because yeah. we're forced, because we always need to be forced as human, we yeah. need to go back and work in synergy with, yeah. with Mother Nature. So yeah. that may be the lesson. Others yeah. can be a little bit more philosophical and other more practical. I think. Yeah. I'm yeah, going to go I, back to gardening and try yeah, to avoid yeah, getting yeah. stung by a bee. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Put, put, put <laughs> some gloves. That will be your uh, your right. antivirus or you know, something like that. <laughs> well, Justin, yeah. thank you so yeah. much, and uh, thank you. Yeah, it was a for... real pleasure to talk to both of you, and I hope to come back again soon. Thank yeah. you. Let's stay in yeah. touch, and for all okay. everybody listening, uh, there will be link to the book, links to uh, getting in touch with Justin, at least on social media, and um, the Wired article. Yeah, yeah, the Wired oh, yeah. article, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And stay tuned. There'll be more on uh, ITSP Magazine. Thank you very yeah. much. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Technology Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.